0: Warning, this episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Gurus Hang Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this inaugural episode is the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Wayne Bergeron. Wayne is currently one of the most sought-after musicians in the world. As a session musician, he's appeared on more recordings and soundtracks than I can even count. Wayne is also an in-demand soloist and clinician, and a damn funny guy. When Wayne is out on the road, he's sure to be at the center of every great hang, but this hang is coming directly to you. Support pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin. All right, welcome to this week's episode of the Trumpet Guru's Hang, and uh, for our first official guest, I have the one and only world-famous, universally famous, uh, Wayne Bergeron. Mr. Wayne, thanks for coming and hanging with me today.
1: Oh, man, this is awesome. It's great to see you in in the flesh, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it's nice the best of everything because i get to experience you without the smell yeah well it's that's true nice, too you know? yeah. <laughs>
0: and uh in honor of you wayne i have a glass of tequila that i am enjoying so uh
1: oh man you're just pissing me off now because i you know i'm not drinking at the moment for uh there's some health issues that we've discussed, and I'm, I'm kind of cooling it.
0: Yeah.
1: And, uh, and uh, I'm drinking wine, you know, let's not lose our heads here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I will raise a glass of my uh, my, my uh, Don Julio 1912 the next time I see you. Oh, well, thank <laughs> you. This is, this is
0: for you, my friend. So anyway, let's just, uh, we're going to hop in and get into it. Because in a lot of ways, this podcast was inspired by you. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on as my first guest. Awesome. Um, uh, so uh, I, I guess it's because when I first met you, we kind of uh, met, uh, you were doing a, a workshop. You're doing a master class uh, out in Pennsylvania. And uh, we kind of got to talk afterwards, uh, after the master class. And then you're like, hey, man, you want to you know, going to lunch? You want to go have lunch? And we just sat there and we just basically shot the shit for a long time. And uh, it showed to me the power of the hang. And from that point on, you know, we've, we've maintained a friendship over the years. And, uh, you know, it's it's great to be able to talk trumpet and talk shop, but it, what was most impressive to me was uh, the ability to connect on that personal level, you know, to be able to just wow. to talk about whatever it is. And I think sometimes the uh, trumpet players would get so caught up in the, uh, you know, whenever you meet someone uh, that you admire, that you want to know about how, you know, how do you play so high? How do you, how do you do <laughs> this? You know, what, what mouthpiece do you use? And I think that it's more important to understand the person behind the horn. Uh, that's really going to give you the insight into, you know, what's made them as successful as they've been. So, you know, let's just dive into that, man. So, you know, sure. why do you, why do you do the shit you do? You know? <laughs> <laughs> why do I do <laughs> What drives you?
1: Well, you know, I think since I was a little kid, when I started playing trumpet, you know, as you you know my story basically, but uh, I had some natural ability, you know, when I was very young, you know, hitting high notes on the trumpet, and uh, you know, I was kind of a little circus act as a little kid because I could I could could play charges up an octave, you know, in junior high school and right and all that stuff, and uh, and and my friends were kind of mesmerized by that and trying to do it, and I'm sure it sounded like a Somebody putting a cat in a blender, but but, but I had this little thing, and it, it's what kept me interested in playing because I got attention for it. I was never very good at anything; I was a very uncoordinated kid. I was a geeky little kid, and and uh, you know I was just you know a little uh, insecure in myself in a lot of ways. So this gave me confidence. It's the one thing that gave me confidence, and uh, that's why I still play today. And if I wouldn't have had that ability, I mean, I started on the French horn, I, as you know, I did not have this ability. You know, so. So <clears throat> I think that's what keeps me going and as I look back over the years and uh, think about how I came up the ranks because people ask me these questions all the time, you know, so and I have a pretty good track of, of how I progressed through high school and the goods and the bads and the bad habits I developed from being a natural player, yeah. you know, if you don't have the proper guidance, I mean, it's really like, you know, you're a martial arts expert as well, you know, besides being a great trumpet player. So the proper guidance and all this stuff, you know, I'm sure there's there's martial arts people that have some natural ability at this yeah. and, get, and get certain things very quick like a, whether right. it's a kick or something and they're really good at that but then their form and everything else is messed up. So it 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 makes other things they develop bad habits and it makes right. other things difficult to accomplish. <clears throat> That's me in a nutshell. So I'm 62 years old now and I'm still undoing bad habits. I've got yeah. a lot better addicts, I can look back, you know, uh I can look back at when i was 30 you figure i'm 62 so when i was 30 i should have been a much stronger player than i am at 62 let's face it you know Mm -hmm. but we've gotten pretty smart uh we've learned a lot about trumpet playing over the the last 40 years you know from what our predecessors you know and even you know the turn of the century you know when we think about looking at the clark book and all these books these were all written in the early 1900s you know or the late 1800s and we're still looking at that formula and which is great there's a great foundation of stuff there we've learned a lot since then and players have gotten smarter and we picked up on that and added things from great gurus and teachers that have come along since then, like bobby shu and different people like that that have that have showed us a new way yeah. you know just like in martial arts there's a new way you know yes, yeah. and uh, uh so i'd like to think i'm a much smarter player now and uh and I can look back and I, t- I can tell you one thing, a 62-year-old Wayne Bergeron can kick a 30-year-old Wayne Bergeron's ass all over the stage. I oh, mean, strength-wise, endurance, uh, I, mean, I, I think I'm a much better trumpet player as well musically, but I'm just right. talking about the physical part of it. Mm-hmm. And so that didn't used to be the case. If you we had been having this conversation 40 years ago. My chops would probably be shot.
0: Uh-huh.
1: You know and i'd be okay right. well i can't play lead anymore you know it, it, you know lead trumpet players that do what we have to do now we're burning out and even strong lead trumpet players like in las vegas when they had the production shows and thing all these great lead trumpet players that came from there and were playing these shows because they were so demanding ended up having all kinds of chop problems not all of them but many of them and they would come to los angeles and they'd study with you on race or whoever like to get fixed right you know Mm-hmm. because you know they were doing everything they've been taught and they you know there was not enough recovery time so like sports or anything else without recovery time is if it's not there you have to figure out a way to survive the next day without that recovery time yeah and, you know, um, i think it's really important and i think that's the if i've learned any great lessons over the years it was to be a smarter player and a more efficient player
0: yeah yeah i think that's the big thing and it's it, i think it goes across the board that um yeah you know, so many things that we do, whether it's music, martial arts, yeah, you know, whatever it is, um, so many of the paradigms were things that were set up centuries ago. And mm-hmm. we accept that as being gospel. Right and and it's important because it yeah, it lays a foundation. But as we begin to understand more about uh physiology, obviously, you understand more about uh the neuropsych side of things, you know, how the brain actually functions. Um how to get peak performance uh you know we can get by in our youth by just muscling through and using sheer talent but uh, there comes a point where that tipping point where what you had starts to decline naturally so it's your ability to become more efficient more uh focused uh to feel that that for lack of a better word you know the mind body connection uh where where you're 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 approaching things more uh, from a, a mental perspective than just you know let's push some air through the horn and pray to god it comes out
1: well there's a lot of and a lot of that is you know even what we read in in brass literature you know they talk about air so much they put so much emphasis on air and uh you know and take a big breath and you know there's lung developers and there's all these things and and you know i'm not saying they don't have any relevance because uh you know let's say if you've got a bigger tank of gas you're likely to be more efficient you know but that being said how much air can we put through this little hole yeah i mean really you know it's not a tuba exactly right you no know? so there's a lot of resistance we're pushing against and you know taking these giant breaths and over tanking and then going to play something and you hit that resistance point you go <laughs> And all this, this, the this, uh, oxygen in your lungs is turning to poison. Yeah, compressing it. And that's when we get dizzy and get head rushes. And that's why that mm-hmm. happens. You know, so yeah. a lot of people don't understand that if we actually decompress, and I don't know, maybe this is true, you know, in martial arts as well, mm-hmm. you know, but if we decompress, if, I mean, it feels good to take a big breath, because we feel supported, we go, oh, okay, man, I'm ready to go now. Well, what if you got to place a note that's three beats long on the staff? you've created tension. You're going, and so by going, play. So I always do that. Even if I'm going to hit a high A, I decompress. I go, and when, as soon as I start playing, I realize I have more than enough air to do this job, you know, without creating extra tension in the body. So that tension, uh, the too much tension thing, you can hear it in the sound, Mm -hmm. you know? So if you can alleviate that, and, and there's different ways to do it. This is just one little example. You, you'll notice the sound will sound freer and more operatic instead of like you know, uh, you know, a, a screechy, you know, horrible sounding thing. You know, like I mean, me. No, <laughs> come on, <laughs> bro. I mean, uh, you know, uh, it, it, the, one of the things I hate hearing worse, the, the things I hate hearing about me is because I can play in the upper register and I'm not the best high note trumpet player of all time by any means, you know, or do I think I am. And I don't even like to call myself a high note trumpet player. I'm a lead trumpet player. And uh, people ask me what I play and I never dig- I never stay aside. I go, I play the trumpet. Yeah. And I try to play everything as I can, as well as I can play. And, uh, you know, so when somebody labels me with a high note, he's a high note trumpet player, it's a kiss of death. Yeah. It's a kiss of death as far as working. If somebody says, Oh man, Wayne Bergeron's a great high note player. Immediately they go, "That's all he does," mm-hmm. you know. Or if they say such 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 is a great jazz player or a great classical player, it's the kiss of death because they've just they've just put you in a category where you can't do anything else. Yeah. And and let's face it, I mean, I know many classical trumpet players that I work with here in town that are great, but they cross over like I cross over into their yard, you know. And we we have to do that to to uh, be effective musicians on a recording session and and. Uh, you know, I've been in situations where it's strictly classical players and, and on the wrong kind of music. And it's kind of like a movie with bad casting. Yeah. It's like putting Jerry Lewis in a love scene. <laughs> <Lady>. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, he's a great, he's a great comedic actor with physical yeah. comedy, but he was a, I won't say he was a one trick pony because he was very talented, but that was yeah. his thing. And it's kind of bad casting. So we all get cast incorrectly. I've been cast incorrectly before, where I've been in trouble, but it made me learn and it made me go study. Mm -hmm. You know, through my failures, when we have failure, we learn. Oh, yeah. If we we don't address it, if we just go, oh, yeah, well, you know, if you think you nailed it. I'm very aware of when it's not happening for me. Mm -hmm. And I know my strengths and my weaknesses very well, better than anybody. So I don't need anybody else to tell me what I can do well and what I can't because I know. You know, so. uh, So that's I mean, that's kind of a key thing, you know, is knowing where you're at in anything. Yeah, and getting yeah. your ego out of the way and accepting like hey man this needs work and yeah. every day i got you know, i have you see all the stuff behind me here i'm going at it every day yeah trying to well, improve on something you know?
0: and, and you know that that's one of the things that as uh, i've been lucky enough to be able to hang with people like you know you and bobby and you know john faddis and you know yeah. the, not not just dropping names but just you know people that are considered some of the you know the the top trumpet players that we have uh, around, uh, you know, Malcolm, uh, yeah. you know, other people like that. And the the, the greatest ones are consistently learning. You know, it, it, there's there's never that thing of like, well, I've got this thing 100% nailed down. There's always <laughs> that, you know, I, I, I've got something else to work on. And, and I think that sometimes Uh, people that they don't really get to know the person behind the horn sometimes Mm -hmm. they think like well yeah he's got it made he doesn't have to work as hard as I have to work Um, so I think it's great to hear that you know you you're still grinding every day so uh, that's oh oh, yeah
1: I mean you know I'm I'm in a fortunate position because I uh, because of where my work is my career has headed me into the studio path I, I literally, and I say this without any fear of contradiction, I sit down with some of the greatest musicians in the world on a regular basis. Yeah. You know, these people that are behind the scenes, these violinists and these woodwind players, you might not even know their names, that have been doing this for their entire career and at this extremely high level. And, uh, you know, I admire it so much because I, I look at my woodwind colleagues over there, you know, and... and uh I listen to this great bassoonist in town here and I listen to them play. There's so many of them, you know, and uh, and uh, you hear that, how they play a solo the first time. And to me, it's always just inspiring. I mean, I always go over and I make sure on the break, I compliment, them, and they go, oh man, beautiful solo, you know, like, oh my God, you're flute player. And there's so many of them, you know, and it's yeah. just, it's, it's really something else, you know, so it rubs off and it makes you a better musician. And we all, I think, feel that way, you know, and, uh, and my trumpet colleagues, you know, that I get to sit next to are, are the younger ones and the older ones, even though I'm kind of becoming the older one now. because yeah. <laughs> so I look around now and I used to always be the young person in the brass section. Yeah. You know, when I first started on these dates, I was the young person and they were going, who is this guy? You know, why is yeah. he here? <laughs> so I had yeah. to prove, but I had to prove myself. I had to be there and I had to do a good job and be accepted. Just like on any team, yeah. you got to prove yourself. You don't come in and go, oh, I've made it. Yeah. You know, they don't want you there. They can get you out of there. No. Well, you
0: know, and that that's a really good question. Uh, and I think it's something that, that people don't take into account. I just remember from a very young age being, you know, told, you know, your your chops your chops might get you the gig, but you know, it's it's everything else that's gonna keep it for you. So no, you know, I know there are a lot of super talented guys out there in LA, but Not saying that you're not a talented guy, but what do you think separates you from some of the other other players that's given you the longevity in your career?
1: I think it's my good hair, well, uh, well, it's that. I, I think they're jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I know I am. <laughs> you know, I got my shortcomings, but I got pretty good hair still. I don't dye my hair, just so you know. My hair is wet right now because I took a took a shower, so I kind of look. I've got this real cream look right now, but uh. but uh, it's kind of funny, you know, because I'm 62 and I should have some gray hair, and it's weird that I don't. My dad had very little gray hair at 90, and so did my mom, and they both had all their hair. So I, I know this is this is talk is not about hair, but I just. I just figured I, I, yeah, but you know, I, I, <laughs> I have, I have my shortcomings. I have good hair. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Um, so I'm sorry. What, what was the question again? We no, it's to... just like,
0: what, what, like for you, I know what, one of the things that everybody always says about, you know, about you is like, yeah, Wayne is such a nice guy. Wayne's such a, you know, great guy he's a fun guy. Um, and so I know your personality has a lot to do with uh, your, your ability to fit in with the situation. Um, you know, not having the huge ego of you know you you know I've always got to be the lead player. I know you you know you do sessions where you're you know playing the third part or you know whatever. Um, so you know, for you, I mean, what would you think is kind of like that defining thing besides your playing that keeps you in the forefront of people's minds when they're when they're
1: looking for a trumpet player? Um, I'm not quite sure how to answer that question, but I think that obviously. Uh, you know being able to get along with your colleagues and and know and have them know you respect them you know and and like I said once again I'm in this fortunate position where these players I'm working with are really great so there's no way I can come it can even approach this situation with an attitude it's like it's that would be just ridiculous <laughs> cuz I come into these situations you know getting to First times I played with, uh, on my wall, on my, you can't see, but on my wall over here, I have like some pictures and some different things. And there's a picture over here in the corner that I'm very proud of. And it's me standing between Jerry Hay and Gary Grant. And it's from a Pussycat Dolls record. Uh-huh. And I played first trumpet. And it was the first time I played first trumpet for Jerry Hay. And if you think I'm going to come into that situation, like I'm all that. <laughs> yeah. I was as nervous as a hooker in church, man. So... <laughs> But I had I got this opportunity, man, and they were really kind to me, and they joked with me, and they gave me shit, and they pushed me, and they made me play my best, and uh, yeah. and I learned from that, you know. So when I, uh, I I try to I I try to make everybody around me feel comfortable, and I'm a funny guy, you know. I like to be, you know, me. I'm kind of a joker, and I'm a little yeah. bit of a comedian, you know. And uh, not everybody likes that, you know. I'm a prankster, so on the session some of my colleagues were a little more serious than I am and a little more nervous about their, even very established ones. And all yeah. of their names will remain nameless, but a couple of them are retired now. But some of them were just very, you know, not that they weren't funny, didn't have senses of humor, but when they were on the job, they were so nervous about us getting in trouble. It's even as established as they were, where I like to keep things light and, and not have that uptight environment because it's already uptight. When you walk into a scoring session for a big movie, you know, with somebody like, like John Williams, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a yeah. very serious thing. And mm-hmm. he's a very nice guy and he's very easygoing, but it's a very serious thing. When it hits 10 o'clock, that room is silent. It is silent. Okay. Phones are off, a phone goes off, you're liable to get fired. It's uptight. Anything with the playing that's weird or anything, if somebody misses a note a couple of times, a contractor's liable to stand up from the desk. And stare back at the brass section, like what's going on back there? It's an uptight situation. Yeah, and it shouldn't be, mm-hmm. because music is not supposed to be uptight. Now I know we got a job to do here, but by things being a little looser, you know, the players are actually going to play better. It's like a, it's like there's two different kinds of conductors, and and uh, I'll use one name in a positive light, then I'll use maybe many others for the negative. Okay, I've recently got to work with uh, with Gustavo Dudamel. Mm -hmm. Uh, on a a project where he was conducting for a a film that I'm not supposed to talk about because it's kind of a secret but you already know what it is because we've talked about it. But, and and, uh, working with him and watching how he brought the best in everybody, I mean just with his analogies of the way he would talk to the string section and they would play it great the first time. And then he'd say it needs to be this and this and this is what's happening in this scene and I want, and then they would play it and it would be 25% better. And he did it with a brass section and with everybody right. as opposed to another conductor that can get that same result by screaming and hollering and looking at you like Ugh. you know they're going to get a result that's going to be a much more nervous result but you're going to play better yeah because you know so but it's it's you know it's going to take years off your life so the the pressure of the studio thing varies from contractor to contractor from composer to composer so when I'm in the situation with my colleagues that I work with on, like if I'm playing first, especially, because I can, I can control the vibe a little bit more if I'm playing first trumpet. Right. <clears throat> so there's players I like to sit with more than others. And I don't mean that I don't like playing with any of them, but yeah. vibe-wise, yeah, yeah, where it's a little more relaxed and I feel more comfortable and I play better. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to, to feeling like somebody's gunning for me because I'm playing first trumpet and they feel like they should be playing first trumpet. And maybe that's true. <laughs> You know, well, like I said, we're all kind of poorly cast sometimes, but we got to do the job. We have to go in and we have to, you've been hired to do this job, go in and do it. Yeah. If I don't feel like I can do it, if I come into a situation and the person next to me is going to be able to do this way, way better, I'm likely to go to the contractor and say, hey, I'm going to be splitting these parts with such and such, with John Lewis or, or whoever, because a lot of this stuff is really geared to, you know, they're stronger at this than I am. And just we can just split the first trumpet money or if you have in your budget to pay us both principal pay because we get more money for for first trumpet uh-huh. and so be, but I'll, I'll gladly split the money yeah. so i i have no ego about that or anything my my job and, and our job is to get this done <clears throat> the best way it can be done so i think with that attitude and trying to be nice and trying to keep it light and trying not to get in trouble i mean even with the contractors that are more uptight yeah i'm just a little quieter about my keeping everybody loose yeah and uh and I don't know if you saw the video of us throwing the piccolo trumpet and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and so that was all I, at the end of a recording session with a with a contractor that doesn't like those kind of things going on, but he was cracking up. Yeah, he's a good guy, you know. Actually, yeah. but, you know, time to do the job, man. He takes care of business, you know. So I, underst- I understand both sides of the the coin with that. So I think maybe a part of that's why uh, you know composer. You know, we have our composers we work for, and our contractors use us, and they trust us. Yeah, There's a trust thing. That's why you see a lot of the same people. It's not that nobody else can play. You know, there's other great trumpet players that maybe haven't gotten their shot or maybe they have gotten a shot and they stepped on their unit and, <laughs> and you're not back. Or maybe they yeah. don't have these traits we're talking about that are needed. Mm-hmm. It could be many things. Uh, but I think that there's a trust thing that comes into play. And that's with anything. You know, your team, you trust your team. When new people come in onto the team, It'd be like a basketball team rotating every game. There's all these great players on the bench, but let's say, oh no, you five are going to start today. Yeah. And then, and they're going to be great because they're pros. But that that little magic thing that yeah. happens from people playing together all the, is not going to be there. It's not going to quite be where where the people that are your a your a players are doing it all the time. Yeah. Uh, and then you can rotate it, players in and out of that, then we all become part of a bigger team. And I think that that's what happens in the studio business for sure, because it's not always the exact same players. There's players coming in and I'm not always there, you know, and they, yeah. you know, Dan Finero might be there or Dan Finero and I might both be there on a commercial date, yeah. you know, which is a good combination to have us both there and then have two crossover classical players there. Then that section can get, well, we can do anything. Yeah. Because we can all cross over. Even yeah. on the, in the Incredibles too. it was like that. It was, mm-hmm. uh, it was Dan Fenero and I. And, and it was a couple of players that came in in out. John Lewis did a session and Rob Shear, young player here. Did, uh, I say young and he's 38. <laughs> but a but, uh, great player. There, he was on a couple of the dates. But uh, it was generally the basic section was Dan and I and then Marissa Benedict and Dave Washburn. And Dave Washburn plays with the LA Chamber Orchestra. And I worked at Disneyland with him. He's a marvelous player. Mm -hmm. one of the best piccolo trumpet players you will ever hear he owns the Brandenburg. everybody leases it from him (laughs) so and i I say that half joking and benedict is this beautiful sound and a very dear friend of mine she teaches at the university of minnesota now she's moved actually Mm -hmm. plays in the long beach symphony here so so we have these kind of four different players in, in many ways but that section sounded really really good yeah you know and those players those classical players cross over into my yard and I can cross over to the yard. I played some of the the classical stuff. Dave played some of the classical stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, Marissa, I, there was all, a couple of little Harmon, like little jazzy things. She yeah. can play, I had to play them, you know? Yeah. And Dan, you know, Dan was my wingman on, uh, on second trumpet. And, you know, we had a high, a lot of high unisons together. And yeah. if I'm going to play up on a high F sharp with anybody, he's one of those people I can do that with. And we're going to pretty much be on the money and you, you can't do that with everybody. You get up that high on the trumpet. Sometimes it's, It's a cat fight. No matter how great the players are, you know, it's hard to really match sounds up there because there's so much angst in the sound and people's personality and their tones start showing up there. Yeah, where Dan and I can go boom, man, and we can lock and load on a high F, pretty, pretty darn good, you know. And it sounds now you got us in stereo.
0: Yeah, so it's
1: a it's a kind of a cool thing. So I think I think some of those things are, or to answer your question, coming into play.
0: Yeah, cool. You know, actually I was gonna ask you about this uh anyway, but you already brought it up about uh you know, the picture of you and Jerry and, and Gary. Uh, because I remember one of our one of our early hangs, we we spent a, a great deal of time talking about our mutual admiration of uh, Jerry's work, particularly the stuff that he did with Giro, you know, oh on the Jero yeah. album and the High Crime album. And, and if you're listening to this or watching the video of this and you're a trumpet player, and you have not listened to either of those releases, <laughs> Stop this right now and listen to them because that is some of the best horn arranging and some of the best playing you are ever going to hear. I mean, in commercial section.
1: And those are the things, you know, that, that Jerry wrote that, you know, ended up getting a lot of fame and they were on, you know, there were hit songs. There's many other things you know that, that people oh, yeah. aren't aware of you know stuff with the brothers johnson oh yeah and from way back when and a lot of the things that he did for with wind and fire of course yeah. you know and maurice yeah. white loved jerry hay when yeah. he heard jerry hay, it was all of a sudden like oh my god you know this is, this so between way. between uh tom tom 84 and yeah. jerry i mean two of the greatest horn arrangers of all time for pop horns in my opinion you know yeah Great. Right. you know obviously james Pankow in chicago and then yeah. greg adams they wrote great stuff but yeah. jerry hay redefined Pop horn writing from this time with Sea Wind. Yeah, you listen to that stuff and hear how that well that works. That's never in the way of the vocal. Yeah, he has a way of being able to put something complicated in without it being in the way, and that's a art. There's just definitely an art to that. But there's a Polino Costa Polino de Costa record. Uh, yeah, it's a great question. It's in town here, man, and and, and uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the tune. It's uh, maybe it's called I Love Rio. I'm spacing on the, the tune, and. Uh, and Man and the Horns on that, it's, you know, it's the same, like you know, it's equally as badass. Yeah. But I, I bought that and I used to buy anything that I saw their names on. Exactly. I bought <laughs> because their names are on, So they helped sell records for the artist. I mean, you know, Jerry is a big part of that because he influenced so many trumpet players and that's horn section, even though it changed its formation a little bit. <clears throat> the main nucleus originally was, you know, Jerry, Jerry Hay and Gary Grant. Mm-hmm. and uh and Larry or Kim Hutchcroft right was in yep, there because you know and then Larry Williams, Larry Williams and, Bill, yeah. and Bill Rockenbach so you see those names like, and then Chuck Finley's name mm-hmm. started coming into play and Steve Medeo, mm-hmm. who was another player I didn't know really well but I did get to play with him once I met him a couple of times and he was a really <clears throat> kind of an interesting studio player because he did weird inflections and he had some tricks with a microphone he'd go yap, and he'd go across the microphone with his bell and and these kind of weird releases and uh. And Jerry used to say that he added this other element, another color to the palette mm-hmm. <clears throat> that he would fit into the thing, even though it was odd, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, so he was, you know, I, I wish I got to play with him more The one session I did with him would and he didn't have the chops he used to have when I played with him, you know, he like he passed away now, he'd had some health issues. But the one thing I remember sitting next to him was <clears throat> his time, like where he placed the notes. And that's where, would, when I sit with Jerry and Gary Grant, they know where the beat is. Yeah, these, these cats have really great internal clocks, and not every trumpet player or any, every musician has that. You know, and Snooky Young had it. You can hear that Snooky Young had as good as time as any drummer when he played. You know, he put the time with the drums. Yeah, you know, he wasn't thinking about oh, one, two. You know, he yeah. just playing. He had natural internal clock. And Jerry and Gary and Chuck, when you listen to them play anything, when you hear Chuck Finley playing a solo on anything you can hear the time feel. When you hear Andy Martin playing a trombone solo, who's another you know, great, great musician with yeah. I- incredible time. And when I sit next to him in a section, I feel that time. I can feel a group of 16th notes, how well quantized it is, as opposed to something going, you know, that something goes, right? A lot of players that go, and they might rush those 16ths a 16th. Right. They might end up in the right place, but the flow of the thing, yeah. when you play with these people, Bill Rockenbach, all of them have that same incredible internal time feel and uh, and I don't think you know I have that anywhere near as well as they do. I think I've gotten a lot better about it you know and I definitely think about time a lot more when I'm playing. I think about let me internalize the beat instead of counting the beat and I yeah. think you have to let go of counting the beat and start internalizing where the where the time is within the beat yeah because here's yeah, yeah. the beat. This is all in time. You have to stay within that framework. You mm-hmm. can be tugging at the beat or you can be pulling on the beat. Mm-hmm. And and depending on, for instance, on swing music, I'm sorry, I hope I'm not getting too much off topic here, but <laughs> but when you think about swing music, and this is how I like to think about it, and I've talked to a couple of different drummers about this and talked to Carl Saunders about this, who's a great, speaking of somebody with incredible time, you know, oh, yeah. trumpet player, mm-hmm. and he plays drums as well. So we've talked about that. And when you're doing a shuffle, you know, if you're going ding, 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 that middle note, ding, 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 drummers put that in a different place, depending on tempo, or depending on their thing. And some drummers tug on the beat, and they go ding, 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 and they put it later. It's within that framework, but that middle note's over here instead of being right in the middle. Right. Or on the front of it, going ding, ding, da, ding, da-ding, ding, da, ding, ding, because you hear the difference, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're playing an eighth note line with that drummer, you have to you have to place your line with that. Right. You know, to some degree. I mean, you don't go ding, 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 you know, but you have to kind of be aware of that. Whether we're pulling at the beat or we're tugging at the we're pulling at the beat or we're tugging the beat at the beat. When you're playing a faster tempo, I think you have to pull at the beat to keep from dragging. Yeah. So if you're going There's no time to go do that. There's no time for that. Where it's mm-hmm. going do that, there's time to tug at the beat. Because mm-hmm. there's reaction time. You know, the beat's bigger. Right the tempo is slower, so you can do more with it, and that's why when somebody lays back, I don't like to use the term lay back. I like to say tugging at the beat. Because laying back, and that's a pet peeve of mine when a band t- director tells her band, "Hey, you gotta lay back. You gotta lay back." No, 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 no. Count Basie's band did not lay back. Count Basie's band played in time. They they pulled back figures. They tugged at the beat, and they they changed the rhythm of figures. Mm-hmm. As you know, you know. Yeah. But, uh, 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 and then they go right? Yeah. You know, on that all of me chart, well, it's written. Mm-hmm. That's how it's written. Mm-hmm. That's not laying back. That's changing the rhythm. You're, you're stretching, quantizing the beat. You're superimposing it, you know, three over four. Right. Is what they're doing. I mean, if mm-hmm. you want, they didn't look at it technically. They just felt that one, I'm sure that all began one night where whoever was playing the trumpet went and laid it back a little bit. Everybody went back. And the next time, everybody kind of did that. And yeah. then it started getting expanded every single night. Stuff like that has evolved in the big fat band even. Right. And the figures have like, gotten to where we're doing, like what Count Basie's band did, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, which is hard for a bunch of white boys. But, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, uh, but, but doing that, so I don't like to use the term layback. I, I, the, the time is time and the tempo is the tempo and laying back is the wrong term Mm -hmm. i mean it really is and that should be struck from the vocabulary of band directors play in time you can tug at the beat like i said don't rush don't Mm -hmm. drag here it is if you listen to any count basie record they're right in the middle of the beat man they're yeah they are on it and sunny payne and Snooky were one of the best combinations of drummer and lead trumpet ever and wallace davenport who the unsung hero of the Count Basie band in many ways. He played second to Snooky, like on the Sinatra rep- reprise records. But mm-hmm. I mean he played on Sinatra at the Sands. And, and people that haven't actually looked at the liner notes think that's Snooky a lot of times. And it's not. It's Wallace Davenport. But Snooky's influence on his playing it is, is on, yeah. undoubtedly there. And him and Sonny Payne have a lock they sound good together, man. And they know where the beat is, you know, yeah. and it's really important. So anyway, these great players like Jerry and Gary and Chuck and, and, you know, there's many, many others uh, that I play with that have that internal clock. And that's just as important as it's more important than your chops, your high chops. If you're a lead trumpet player, you can have the greatest high chops in the world and be the most accurate person ever. If you don't have a good time, yeah. nobody wants to hear it. It doesn't feel good. So yeah. it's yeah. only impressive as a circus, you know, trick.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, that and uh, you know, nailing the, the feet of a bear to a, the pedals of a unicycle.
1: You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh,
0: so, uh, you know, it, it's it's so funny when you when you start talking about some of these things, you know, and your uh, your history, your understanding of the history and of the of the mechanics and stuff like that. But uh, you know, if, if we kind of go back to some things you're talking about earlier about uh, like being a natural. Uh, I, I, I experienced this a lot as when I was teaching martial arts, you know, I'd have a lot of students come in and they they could learn super, super, super fast. You know, I right. could show them something once and they've got it, right. uh, but then they don't make progress. Right. It's just like, it's good immediately, but then it just never gets any better. Um, and I, I remember a few years ago you were, uh, you were dealing with some, some chop issues, um, and I remember having a conversation about you where you were kind of you know, talking about you're trying to re- figure stuff out because you're, you're dealing with this uncharted territory because you would never had to deal with something like that before. So you're kind of at a loss uh, for, for what to do uh, to, to get through that. So uh, and what, what's the biggest lesson that you learned from from those trials?
1: well you know i what happened was i ended up getting developing a cyst on my upper lip and it it was caused from stress I, and i looking back i know this now i was in the middle of a divorce and uh you know it was very very brutal divorce and you're like you know, divorces are never fun you know yeah. in case you think they're fun, they're really not yeah. if you've never uh, d- yeah, one, i don't, there, I, don't done that. <laughs> I don't recommend them you know uh, you know but sometimes they're necessary you know things just don't work or, or whatever you know or are not right you know we all need to be happy you know yeah so so uh and I'm happy so uh but I was going through a lot of stress and I went through a very rapid weight loss and I was living in a I was out of my house and I was living uh at a friend's apartment I lived with my friend Andy Martin for a little bit in his place and then I moved in with a very good friend of mine, this cellist Peggy Baldwin and her husband. And they had a place in the mountains here in Big Bear as well. So they let me stay there, that next room. And they were always gone. So I had this kind of a big apartment to myself. And it was very lonely though. And I was freaking out because there's bills coming in. And, uh, uh, and and I'm playing at this point, but I've lost weight. And so if you think about this, when you lose weight, well, you lose mass everywhere, kind of. Right. And so you lose your strength you know, you lose, even if you're fat, I mean, yeah. when you, you, you're losing strength, you're still losing muscle as you know. Yeah. And, and so my playing, I felt like I was working so hard and I just thought it's cause I was stressed and, and I was starting to push really hard and my lip was hurting and I'm going, Oh man, I, I didn't put together that I'd lost the weight in my face. Mm-hmm. Right. And I wasn't really practicing. I was playing, you know, and my lips are thinner now and i caused damage i damaged the muscle trying to do what i used to be able to do with a stronger muscle yeah you know and now i'm pushing against this thing so this thing came in man and it would not go away and it would i would stop playing it would go away then i'd play on it it would aggravate it and i had i was in the middle of a broadway show that i needed the money for um it was the it was a legally blonde which is a pretty demanding show and i had to leave the show And then i took some time off and i had some guest artist things and i would I would rest so i couldn't practice i'd have to let the thing go away and then i go do a guest artist thing <laughs> out of shape and beat my chops up and this thing would flare up again it got to the point where i couldn't play i mean where a doctor told me you have to stop playing you're going to do permanent damage right and so i took so i had to take six weeks off and let this thing go away and then and at this point I'm kinda of coming around and I'm putting some weight back on and I'm, I'm getting healthy. And I kinda of came back slowly and methodically and I practiced with my good friend, Larry Hall, who was another, you know, hero of mine and, and one of my dearest friends uh, to this day. Larry's now retired. I've got tinnitus kind of took him out of the game, unfortunately, hearing issues. So uh, a yeah, uh, great guy and, and great player. And we practiced together quite a bit when I was coming back and he knows I want it back right now. So he'd take my mouthpiece because we're taking a break. <laughs> you know and we go yeah. get coffee or whatever have a glass of wine then we come back and he was making me play this clark study as soft as i could play very slowly going just soft as whisper soft as we could play mm-hmm. and we'd go through some different things and some long tones and we'd go through even some of it the bill adam routine but softly you know because we're trying to get this resonating area here the re our reed i like to call this our reed like an oboe reed. Right. Trying to get those reeds supple again so it's a good reed, yeah. you know. And if it hasn't been used for a while, if it's a dried out old funky reed, doesn't matter how great of a noble player you are, you to put that crappy reed in, you're going to sound bad. You're going to have issues playing. And so we, we kind of, uh, we went at it very slowly. And then we were going into a show in, you know, several weeks that we were going to be playing together. So I was grooming myself so I could play that show. So it was basically about nine weeks before I worked. hmm and then we went into the show and I forget we were doing, uh, maybe the how the Grinch stole Christmas, I think. And, uh, and I got to where I was, you know, I'm, I'm playing again, I'm getting some high F's and some G's out and, and doing pretty good, you know, and we did this show and I split the book with Larry. I said, you play the piccolo trumpet stuff. Let me play what I can play. And as we go, I'll take some stuff out of your book and I've had the contractor split the money. Mm-hmm. I go, Hey, Larry and I split the first trumpet money with us, you know, so we both made the same money. And, mm-hmm. uh, And then as we went, I took some things back, but at the end, we were about, you know, we'd split it up. I took a few things back, but I was running pretty good. By the end of the run, I was, I was kind of back for the most part. And uh, I had some, not that I didn't have some issues after that, but that's how I came back. So I learned a lot from that, from the methodical way to get back into this, you know, with some time off. And uh, because I didn't really know how to do it. One time I took a vacation many years ago and I took five days off. And I figured that'd be okay. And I freaked out when I got back. Yeah. Because it didn't feel as good. And it only took me a couple of days to really get back. Yeah, you know, maybe three three days, but I panicked. Mm-hmm. And so I did learn a little bit from that time too not to panic. Like mm-hmm. it's gonna come back, you know. So uh panic does set in though, you know, with with Trumpet players because it goes away so quickly, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well,
1: I mean, and I think
0: it's not just trumpet players. I think we all deal with that, that, um, you know, as we're facing the unknown, we we get fearful. And the more fear we have, the more stress and anxiety and the more counterproductive it becomes. But, uh, you know, it's that that mental game and you know when we can understand that there's a lesson to be learned in adversity um yeah i, I kind of look at it like you know when you go through the fire the fire the fire will either consume you or it'll it will burn away the impurities and it'll leave you with a more refined state so um uh, i know for me i've i've gone through My share, like, you know, we all have, you know, my share of of hard times, you know, health issues, relationship issues, financial issues, you know, you name it issues. Um, And I've always kind of prided myself on the ability to to take, to learn a lesson from it and say, Okay, well, I can't change the fact that this did happen. All I can do is learn how to either prevent it from happening in the future or to, to give me some tools to work with. So, uh, I mean, if you think about in your life, I mean, what are some of the, what are some of those pivotal moments where you've just kind of had to, to break things down and reevaluate and, and restructure uh, your approach to things?
1: Well, before this lip thing, I actually had one other issue when I was working at Disneyland. It you know, many, many years ago, and uh, I, you know, I have a chip tooth that I learned to play on. You know, and anybody's read my bio, I tell the story about it. You know, so you but, didn't have uh, that
0: file to match faddis?
1: Well, I did have <laughs> a file. I, I, I did use a file. It's funny you should mention that. So anyway, I, it, I'm going to make this very quick so we don't get long enough. This tooth had an abscess in it, and the dentist said, "Well, uh, yeah, we well, got like I want to do a crown." And I'm going no 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 crown you know because I knew that how important the dental thing was. Mm-hmm. So uh, I went to another de- friend of mine, this drummer Matt Johnson, said, "Oh, my, I have a friend that's a cosmetic dentist. You should go see him get a second opinion." So I went in there, and he said, "No, I can save that tooth. We can we can do some cos we can do some bonding material. I can make it bulletproof and make it as strong as possible." And but I'm gonna have to. So he had to grind. He had to get the decay out the decay out of the tooth first, and then he he bonded it up. You know. And he goes, well, let's just start with the whole tooth, <laughs> you know, why not? And I couldn't play, you know. And then he would grind a little bit off and then all of a sudden I could, air was going through again. Then he would take a little bit more off and it got better and better and my range was going up. By the time we were done, man, we had trumpet players lined up around the block <laughs> to get in the chair, you know. So, yeah. so anyway, but, so he, he took some of this off and then he left it because I was playing, I played to the top of my range and, and the chip wasn't as big. So it looked a little nicer, you know, mm-hmm. you know whatever, you know, I don't, I don't really give a crap about any of that. But but uh, uh, it looked a nice. So so we left it at that. And and uh, I go, oh, good, maybe we saved the tooth, I didn't have to have a crown. Well that night I played a gig with Tom Kubas's band, this is many years ago too, and George Graham was still live playing. Oh, no matter of fact, George wasn't at this gig. That's right. I played lead trumpet that night. And I played one of his features. He had the feature on On A Clear Day that Tom did for him and I played it. And it felt, you know, it felt a little bit different. But I, had, I played a double high C on the end, I got it, you know. Yeah. It felt a little different, you know, and a little maybe not as big. And But you know, they're not always a home run, let's face it. You know, yeah. we, we all have better performance. <clears throat> so, but I said, oh, I'll be okay with this. And as the days went on, my traps started going south, where I started leaking on one side. And what was happening is this thing, whether the shape of it was a little different now, maybe it's a little longer, now I'm manipulating. Mm-hmm. And my muscle memory is trying to gravitate around what used to be, which is different now. Right. And so it started freaking out. And it got to the point where high, I had a, I could barely hit a high C. I could always play in the staff. always seemed okay. And I'd go, bop, bop, bop. I'd go bop, bop, bop. and this would give out. And I was mm-hmm. holding my corners. I'd, I couldn't keep the air going through the aperture without coming out the sides. So I started freaking out. And I go back to him and he takes a little bit more off and we play nothing. I got a file, I'm in the Disneyland band and, and all of a sudden I'm, I started just sitting on the fourth trumpet book, you know, because of where I could play. And yeah. I was really frustrated. I threw a trumpet during this practicing. Yeah. I threw a trumpet into the wall, my Shulki X3 and it stuck into the drywall, the bill. <laughs> stuck, and, it, and it hung there and I was going, I should just put a frame around that and leave it there and call yeah. it a, fucking day you know so yeah. so it was really frustrating yeah and so what i did was i went uh, now i went back to the original dentist because i wanted to get the mold of my teeth which we did have right and i wanted to go to this other dentist and go make this as close to this as you mm-hmm. can make it mm-hmm. so we had to do some measurements and so anyway the sad part of this is i go to that other dentist to get my composite uh my composite mold, mm-hmm. and the dental assistant went to get them, and she walked over. She dropped it. Oh, she dropped it. Both of them, the tops and the bottom. The bottom stayed perfectly intact. Top, top. shattered, shattered. Just plaster perish. You no, know? yeah, this is right. a long time ago. They have some more heavy duty stuff. Now yeah. they have it all on the computer. Exactly. So now it's you know it's all high tech, and they can like a CNC machine. They can duplicate anything. You know, so now I don't have a mold. So I go back to this. So I, what I did was I took, found some pictures of me. Mm-hmm. I blew them up for reference so he could look at that. And then we started experimenting around with the thickness. And we I just got it to a place that was close, and I left it there. And then I started studying with this trumpet player, Boyd Hood. I said, I'm going to take some lessons. Who was in the LA Philharmonic for many years. He's retired now. Right. And one thing he said to me that always, stuck, he's had me start doing the stamp routine and doing some buzzing, which I'd never really done and or have never been very good at. But he told me, I kept going, boy, it feels, doesn't he, he said, quit worrying about how it feels. He goes, it's different. You're looking for something that doesn't exist anymore. Play, follow the sound, please just go through this, what I tell you to do, play with a good sound, put the mouthpiece up and blow. (laughs) You know, don't manipulate. So I started doing that. So I'd go in the practice room and I'm still playing, you know, I'm in Disneyland kind of sucking and you know, as far as I'm concerned. And I, uh, but I would go into the hallway and I'd practice all these scales, be going these little exercises he gave me and all the stamp things. And I would guess I went up higher, all of a sudden I started going and i would be a high C and it was coming out again. I go, and I go oh wait, man, it didn't leak. All of a sudden, you know, and then I go back stop. up to D now. I'm and it, it's not leaking. And I kept doing these things over and over and over. And the next thing I know, I'm going and I got an F again. And my officers gripped. And in about two weeks, I was back and I was stronger. Yeah, I, was, I had my traps were stronger and I'd learned something through all this. Yeah. So when I went into this stuff with my chops, even though I knew it was a drag, I went back to that. I go, okay, I know this will be okay because I can't feel, I can't worry about what it feels like. And so I went back to what Boyd showed me as well when I was, you know, part of this was coming back soft and forgetting yeah. about that and just kind of following the sound. So that following the sound that comes from Bill Adam, which he says, and many teachers say yeah. that. It's very true. I mean, sometimes we have to think about the physical things that are happening and the technical things, but that will fix a lot of things. You know, 90% of the time, I say that will fix things that are wrong.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, you, you see that happen to a lot of people where you know, our bodies are constantly changing. So whether it's like you're talking about with weight loss or, you know, weight gain, yeah. uh, you know, you're, you're in better shape, you know, whatever it is, or just a natural decline that occurs, um, your body is not going to function at 62 or 52 or 42, the way it does at 22. Right. Uh, and that's that's the the blessing and the curse of, of uh, ingraining things or, you know, what we call muscle memory is that we you know, that's the way that we did it. And we think that that's going to be the way that we always do it. But if we don't understand that if one aspect changes, then everything kind of has to adjust in order to... To filter that but the one thing that can't change or shouldn't change is up here if that stays consistent if your your intention stays consistent then your body will find a way to match your intention
1: that's very well put man because it's a that life is a moving target you know and if we don't follow that target you know something's you know when when something's wrong we have to things have to be changing constantly we're always in flux as you know so keeping your head in the game in the right place is half of it and not and realizing there's a way to do this and maybe it's another way you know we have to think outside the box with everything man i don't i don't disregard anybody's information that i see about trump playing online even if it seems ridiculous and you know there's a lot of haters you know i try not to get involved on the internet with being too negative but once in a while i I might be alcohol induced. I might have to chime in and call somebody yeah. out because they're yeah. just giving, they're just spewing bad information, you know, or, or being mean or yeah. or whatever, you know. But uh, I look at things that you can learn a lot from anything. Yeah. You can learn a lot by listening to somebody saying, "Hey, I just learned something. I'm never going to do that." <laughs> <laughs> That's wrong. Yeah, yeah. You know, physics tells me, and and science tells me. And all I've ever learned tells me I'm wrong, but I'm going to look at it and I'm going to say, well, why is it wrong? Yeah. Why is that the wrong thing to be teaching? And I don't, I can't cite an example. I probably could, but I don't want to get, get in trouble. Yeah. Um, You know, there's a, you know, trumpet players, especially, and I don't know what it is. uh, It's a weird, we're kind of a weird breed, man, that, uh, that's got, that we have huge egos and and we, we have to have confidence to do what we do. The drummer has to have confidence in, to do it. Well, any anybody that, but it really should be across the board when you play any instrument. If you're out front, it takes confidence. Ego, uh, ego is 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 within your self confidence. Goes outward. It yeah. shows you, hey, I'm confident. that Your listener can hear confidence. Like, oh man,
0: yeah.
1: ego they can hear as well. Yeah. You know, when you're a circus act and you're just overplaying everything. Yeah. You know, and it's always, it's about, it's about showing off. It's you can, like Bobby Shue has a great line. You can either, you can play to impress or to move. And sometimes yeah. both of those things happen at once. Right. I'm more impressed with listening to Till Bronner play. <laughs> than I am with somebody, you know, playing a million notes and hitting, you know, a triple high C. Yeah. And even though that's impressive, too, and I would love all that, you know, because yeah. you know, I am a part of Lughead too, you know, it's in my yeah. DNA, you know, uh, as a trumpet player. But I'm more impressed with that because that's actually harder to do, not physically harder. It's harder from the soul because yeah. your soul has to be in play. Right. You know? and, and let's face it, any monkey can do a, a lot of stuff that we hear. You know, yeah. and, do, and do it well. And if, yeah. I'm not taking anything away from it, it's an important piece of the picture. Mm-hmm. But John Faddis can do really high, <laughs> amazing, fast, show-offy, great stuff. He can also play a ballad that will make you cry and never leave the staff. Yeah. That's, the, that's the difference. Maynard yeah. Ferguson could do that, too. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of, you know, high note trumpet players or lead trumpet players, however mm-hmm. we look at them, that could do that. You know, and that's the big difference. Yeah. You know, that they knew they had that. It's part of their DNA as well. And it's part of the foundation of their playing, which made the stuff they play up high better. Yeah. Because it drew me in more because I can hear the heart, even in that, even if it's fast, there's still heart. There's confidence and it's showing off, but it's, the heart is still there. And I think that that's a big part of it, man. And and I, I try to keep that in my playing. Yeah. I try to keep some soul... And quality of sound and beauty, Um, and Maynard. One of the greatest things anybody ever told me was play like an opera singer. Yeah, and that always stuck with me, man. And when he was young, especially, you could hear that. Yeah, and the way he played a ballad. You know, as he got older and was playing change, he kind of became a caricature of what he once was. Yeah, Um, as he, you know, things changed as he got. But Maynard, he died with all his chops. It's just kind of funny that he left with all his. The physical ability, you know, and he was not a picture perfect textbook embouchure. Let's face it, you know, if you looked at that embouchure in a book, yeah, that would be like, do not do this. Yeah. yeah. But how do you argue with that?
0: Yeah. You know, so,
1: so once again, looking at something that looks wrong, but what's right about that? And let me get that. Yeah. yeah you know yeah. and so i that's what i learned from him watching him play watching him do weird things like stick his tongue between his lips before he played, to open his aperture up real big mm-hmm. you know well that you your every book in the world will say that's wrong to do but yeah. you listen to how loud and how big those notes were it comes from it's like that reed like on a saxophone yeah. like if you wanted a, a tenor sax set up for playing like rock music or whatever you would have a certain mouthpiece and and a certain read a hardness of read I don't know much yeah. about woodwind playing, but that space would be bigger. Yeah. It's Easier to play loud.
0: Yeah.
1: So, so this is our volume control. Yeah. So an understanding how that works that was a big lesson for me and now we're learning that from Maynard didn't mean I could play soft or do it. I learned that much later how to control that and how yeah. to make those things and how to how to take what I learned from Maynard that might be textbook wrong, and then take what I know, what physics and science tells me. Yeah. and what many other great trumpet players have showed me and roll those things together and then kind of be able to do both of those things at a convincing level.
0: Yeah, well, I remember, um, I, I can't remember where I heard it, but it was uh, Maynard talking about uh, how to improve your your upper register. And he would, he said uh, to, to play a ballad and, you know, to play it and then play it up a third and then play it up a third and play it up a third, but always trying to go for that lyrical approach to playing as opposed to okay we'll just play arpeggios or just play you know the that's a great that play. great
1: way to approach something like that I've, I've always thought that and I didn't know that I, Maynard never said that to me but he probably said that at some master classes and that's really a great point because uh Faddis talks about that a little bit even you know he I was hanging with him at the NAMM show once and I heard him playing uh uh, you know, the uh, Charlie Number 1. Mm-hmm. And then he played it up a third. And he played was playing some of it up a half, seven playing a different keys and was talking about being able to play it and making it sound just the same. And he can do that. I mean, yeah. John Faddis... You know, I've only really played with him, you know, in an ensemble once. And that was, we were doing this Gillespieana suite in Los Angeles for a week. And he was a soloist, him and Tom Scott. Uh, and originally it was done by Dizzy Gillespie and Piquita de Rivera. Uh-huh. And, and Lalo Schifrin wrote the piece. It's like a big band with no saxophones. It was a, it was four Wonderful. French horns. <laughs> no, I can't say that. I have too many saxophone player friends, but there was four French horns in the front row. So it was all brass and Faddis was out front. And so I watched him play two sets a night for five nights. And he played some of the same stuff, you know, he, you know, it's a certain way to play this thing, but it always varied a little bit every night. And some of the ensemble parts, there was one little march thing in there, this like weird 12-8 thing, and I don't remember what it was exactly. But every once in a while, he would play the lead part up an octave and it went up to double E flat. It was like, you know, it was some weird thing. Yeah. And he played it and he made it sound like it was in the register we were in. It was perfect, yeah. and I'd never heard anything like it. And I was already a fan of John Fattis's, but I came a big-time fan of his after hearing that. And after hearing all the things that he did that night, the plunger work, you know, you're talking about being able to do all these things really well. Everybody thinks about John Fattis as a high note trumpet player, yeah. because he can play in the upper register, and he does. Yeah. And yeah, sure, that's one tool in his tool belt. He played that plunger stuff awesome, Yeah, And can make the trumpet talk. And I was more impressed with that. You know, I was like, man, everything this guy can do, man. It's just like, and the the efficiency, you know, the physical part of it, watching how easy he can do it, coming back to efficiency. You can't do that and not be efficient. You can't play the way he plays and not be efficient. I couldn't, I could never play that lick the way he played that. I just, he's half as, he's playing half as easy as I am, you know, He's using 50 percent less work. I'm playing a lot easier than I used to, and I—that's a goal for me. Mm-hmm. But man, that is like nothing for him. I know he's maybe he hurts inside; it doesn't show, <laughs> you know. But, but I've always been impressed with that—the ease of playing. But it—it uh—it makes the music sound better, you know. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's the uh, when it's too hard, uh, when when there's stress and anxiety and things like that. I mean, that's definitely a mental thing, and those. The, that creeps into the physicality. I mean, it, when you're when you're stressed, your body can't function optimally. So to get the same results, you have to work twice as hard, which then is this downward spiral of, of
1: destruction, so. Yeah, and it, that applies to sports as well. Yeah. I mean, if you're, uh, if it's, you know, if you're playing basketball, it's twice as much work to throw that ball into the basket. If the ball feels like it's twice as heavy, well, You're working twice as hard to make the same result and you can't make the same result for as long anyway maybe you're pretty good at it for a minute you got you yeah. I got this. you're not going to last as long
0: yeah well even you know, even relationships I mean uh, I, I love <laughs> I love your wife you know we're talking about yeah, your uh, the relationship woes you had you guys but, aren't
1: uh, fooling around or anything are you
0: uh, well next question, next question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no I you know uh, I had such a great time hanging with you and Barb at uh, that ITG that was just like one of the, the highlights of my life just hanging out with you guys but you know it's that's, I could see in that and, you know, staying in touch with you over the years, uh, there's an ease to a relationship. I mean, it's not saying that it doesn't take work to maintain a yeah. good relationship. It does. But when you have to force it, you know, it, it doesn't work. So it's,
1: inter- it's interesting you, you say that because from that ITG, you know, for whatever reason, we all gravitated together. You and I, Mike chickowitz and Jeff yeah. Houghton from Yamaha and my yeah. wife. Yeah. And there's a picture of us all crammed into a car going out to dinner. You, know, you guys were in the yeah. back seat and and piled in this little car. And uh, and we, you know, we hung and we drank wine and we had great food. And uh, we went out to eat with Avi from uh, Guard. Yeah, that's right. That night, and you know, we had we went to Arnie Morton's and we had this incredible dinner. And 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 just funny, but but that relationship, you know, uh, even though we'd met before, it kind of planted a the seed. It's your roots that grew as a friendship with all of you, because it's funny that night because Jeff Houghton and I, I mean, we knew each other a little bit. Yeah. And we'd met before. We're very good friends, man. I call him and the personal things that I call and tell you about my life that I wouldn't tell everybody, I tell him and Mike Chikowicz, I talked to him yesterday. We've remained great friends since then. And you and I have kept in touch and remained friends. And so that's not true with everybody I meet and it doesn't mean I don't want to be friends with them, but for whatever reason, because of the situation the connection and we had such a good, Hey, let's hang tomorrow night. Yeah. And that, and those are, that's how friendships are made, you know, and even though we don't see each other all the time, Frank Green and I, yeah. you know, remain, I met him when I was on Maynard's band and he was on Woody's band and we just had a connection. We met in front of the Edison hotel in New York city and, and talked and kept in touch ever since then. Yeah. And now he's one of my dearest friends and
0: like i said that's that's really in many ways what this it's inspired this concept because not everybody gets a chance to hang you know and especially now you know with with all of this COVID stuff going on uh that's the one thing that i miss the most is is just being able to hang with people and and just you know talk yeah yeah uh, it's hard but we're gonna do we're gonna wrap up with uh something that i i call uh the speed studies. I don't know if you ever did the Nagel speed studies. I did a, little, a little
1: bit, but it was too hard. So I just, yeah, exactly. I, don't need, I don't need this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, those are the finger, you know, the finger yeah, no, yeah. and, and you just have no idea where it's going. And that's kind of the way this is the rapid fire round. is going to throw some questions out to you. Uh-huh. Uh, quickest answers you can give me. Uh, okay. you, don't, you don't know where it's going to end up. So let's just go ahead and start with this one. Uh, your biggest influence on your life that is not a trumpet player
1: uh my father
0: good okay your favorite book uh
1: it's your book (laughs) (laughs) thank you wayne (laughs) (laughs) i'm not i you know i feel stupid because i'm not a i'm not i was never a big reader even though i read a few things you know so having a favorite book um i i'm just starting to dive into michelle obama's book right now and i'm in the first quarter of it and i'm like fascinated with it and i'm enthralled with her life all of a sudden. So, uh, but yeah, I just got your book and I have to say just cause I'm learning about meditation a little bit through the, you know, the little bit that I've read uh, the first part of your book and I'm actually doing that for the first time in my life. And, awesome. uh, and, uh, you know, and right now I kind of need yeah. it. I have some, some stuff going on in my life. That's not good necessarily that I, I don't think I'll share here, but, uh, everything I'll be just fine, but it's helping me cope with those yeah. things. And, uh, So that's why I say it's my favorite book.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, I'm glad that I can be of assistance in some small way. Uh, What's the worst movie you've ever seen?
1: Um, A Cack of the Killer Tomatoes. (laughs) (laughs) And it's also my favorite because of that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. If you weren't a trumpet player, what would you want to do?
1: Um, I would probably be uh, a machinist because that's what I did when I was young and my father was a machinist and I have some, I had some skills there. Maybe I'd be making mouthpieces or something like that, who knows, but I think I'd be in some kind of construction or something mechanically motivated that way. Okay.
0: Uh, what's your favorite drink?
1: Um, it's the drink that I've just invented and it's called the Wayne drop and it's a simple syrup muddled with mint, um, great goose vodka, uh, bubbly water that I make myself my soda stream with fresh squeezed lemon from my garden and the mint is from my garden as well and make a very lemony concoction like that uh, you put ice in you put your shot of vodka in you pour uh, this lemony concoction in, and you top it with uh, with pomegranate juice and uh and a lemon wedge and it's a, like a, it's a mojito kind of Vibe, very refreshing drink. And we just made up a drink one night. So my wife calls it the Wayne Drop. So it's, I do those a lot and it's really quite good. I mean, I have to say.
0: I might have to try that later on today.
1: Yeah, it's not a bad thing. All right, cool. All right. Tequila's my favorite, uh, you know. Uh, as far as hard because like, I don't drink scotch or I, not that I don't, but I like tequila and Dos, Art, and Dos Artes is my favorite new tequila. So I don't know if you know about that, but you should I check don't
0: know. Out. I will check them out for sure. Thanks I will for show that. it to you. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks <laughs> for the head. That, I, no, please don't show it to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you could have a dinner party and invite any three living people. Who would they be?
1: It'd be my mother and my father. And I have to have uh I have to it has to be more people. I have to be my three siblings that have passed away. Four siblings that have passed away, excuse me. I've lost two brothers. Uh I've lost my all three of my brothers and my uh and my one of my sisters. So there's only two of the six of us left. So uh, you have to make that a bigger party. Okay,
0: bigger party just for you, Wayne. All right.
1: Thank
0: you. Okay. Um uh, lacquer plated or raw? Lacquer. Okay. I I was talking about your date. Um <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: uh, what's your favorite quote?
1: Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, I think it's probably 80% physically, 100% musically. Okay, cool.
0: Uh, what's your biggest fear? Fear of the unknown. Uh, well, you're not alone with that one. Uh, Okay, you could have only one superpower. What would it be?
1: To get Donald Trump out of office. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to go there. Yeah, that's okay. I didn't want to be political. Um, no, I I've had one superpower to be able to heal the sick.
0: That's that's a good one. Uh, okay, now we're gonna we're gonna go directly back into the the land of trumpet. Um, what aspect of trumpet playing do you think is the most underrated?
1: Uh, style. Okay. Because we just concentrate so much on the, uh, you know, the range and the physical thing, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think is the most overrated? Range. Range. Okay. And um, what advice would you give your younger self about music?
1: I would give my I would say learn to play the piano so you understand the big picture of music instead of being a one note but we play one note at a time so we're we're going down one lane of the highway if you can see the whole highway you can react to a lot of different things differently so I think I wish I would have done that when I was young. Yeah,
0: okay, cool. Um what advice would you give your younger self about life?
1: I would uh I would have worked harder. I didn't work as hard as I should have when I was young. And I'm not just talking about Trump, but I'm talking about many things. You know, I didn't study as hard as I should have in school. As I got older, you realize the catch up you have to do to do the things we need to do in life. And uh, so it would definitely probably be more on the educational thing about focusing on really taking care of business. And I look at young people now that do that like young high school players and they're good students and they're off to college and they're good college students and they practice their, I wish I would have taken that route. I almost wish I wouldn't have had the physical ability because it would have made me work harder.
0: All right, well, cool. Well, Wayne, thanks so much for spending time with me today. And I'm sure that uh, there's lots of uh, impact in here for for a lot of people that are gonna listen to this, a lot of young trumpet players, a lot of old trumpet players. so you've always been one of my favorite people, not just my favorite players. And oh. I just really uh, love being able to spend a little time with you. And I'm looking forward to spending more time in the real world. <laughs> after, yeah, uh...
1: man, I know. Uh, so. We'll have to do a re- we'll have to reunite at the Midwest, Band an orchestra clinic or, or one of these events, you know, down the road. And, uh, and you and I and Chikowicz and Jeff Houghton and, and my wife and us all get together and go have a nice dinner and, uh, and celebrate, you know. What's
0: good yeah, in life, you know, you got that. And you know, any, anytime that you get out here to the, the East Coast, you know, you always uh, give me a shout and I'm, I'll be there. So anyway, Wayne, once again, thank you very much, my brother. Thanks. And uh, if people want to find out what's going on in your life, what's the best way to, to uh, keep track of you?
1: Well, you go to my website, uh, WayneBergeron.com, and uh, and uh, you can see what I'm what I'm doing. You can see what I'm currently not doing because everything's been <laughs> canceled. You know, all my gigs went away in one day. But I, I'm homey. I work from home, and I have a recording studio here. And so I'm I am keeping busy, and I am practicing, and I am teaching online a little bit, and doing master classes. And uh, Jose, thanks for having me. It's been really fun uh, doing this, and uh, this is fun because it's not just a trumpet. You know, we talked a lot about trumpet but it's not just about the uh, technical aspect i like talking about you know the uh the spiritual part of all this and uh, and i've learned a lot from you mm-hmm. as well so thank you for all the kind words and thanks for being my friend and uh and i'm glad i met you that yeah. Day back way back when, and and uh, and you're a big part of my life, so thank all you.
0: Right. Well, thanks, brother, and, and best wishes in all things in your business, your music, and uh, your life, and please give Barb a, a big hug and kiss for me, and uh, I will do that. We will catch up with you soon. So, everybody, thanks for spending time with us today, and you know, catch us on the next episode, so peace and slide grease. We are out. <laughs> Hey, thank you so much for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating connection through our mutual love for the trumpet life. I hope that you learned a few things about today's guest and had some laughs along the way. Don't forget to give us a review. We love those five-star ratings. And please share this podcast with your friends. We want to see our hang grow for show. Have a suggestion for a future topic or a guest? Hit me up at thetrumpetgurus at gmail.com. Our opening theme was written and performed by Lexi Signor, and all other music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. So in the words of W.C. Handy, life is like a trumpet. If you don't put anything into it, you don't get anything out. So go out there and let your trumpet sound, and I'll see you at the next hang.